Father, we do thank you for this day that you give to us to come aside from all of the cares, the good ones as well as the bad ones, to come aside from everything and just be with you, be with your people. Bless us in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So, if someone could uh, read that for us. So, oops, sorry. <laughs> I caught the mint, but I slammed my hand on my microphone. <laughs> um, so we're continuing in looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly through the lens of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, book, The Cost of Discipleship. And I'm wanting, again, to emphasize, I hope I do every week, there are many, many areas in which uh, I disagree with Bonhoeffer's exegesis. Uh, I think that he, well, I know, he did not see the scriptures as the inspired word of God. Uh, it was uh, portions of the scripture that he felt were inspired, and that's the job. Anyway, uh, but he does, despite his unorthodoxy, Despite his lack of orthodoxy, he does bring out some very, very good points and points that are uh, helpful, I think, to the church today. Uh, again, Bonhoeffer's big thesis, his, his big uh, project, is attacking or, or refuting, I should say, refuting the position that was very common and still, sadly, is found in many churches, that you can have Jesus Christ as Savior without having Jesus Christ as Lord. And so if you're familiar with dispensationalism, and it was a big controversy, particularly in the 1960s, Charles Ryrie uh, is a, is a well-known, uh, was a well-known dispensationalist theologian, and uh, the whole lordship salvation controversy. Uh, do you have to have Jesus Christ as Lord in order to be saved? And there's a significant portion of the Christian church 
that says, no, uh, you do not have to have Jesus Christ as Lord in order to be saved. And Bonhoeffer says, that's hot garbage. Hot garbage. That, that's not a direct quote from Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer strongly disagrees. Yeah, it did not sound like him. It sounded more like me. <laughs> Bonhoeffer strongly disagrees with the position that you can have Jesus Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. And, and his argument throughout the book is discipleship is a response to a call. We must first be called by Jesus. And the only decision that you and I ever make in this entire thing is, are we going to respond to the call? Once we've responded to the call, then our entire life is claimed by him. Every aspect of our life, every moment of our day, is claimed by Jesus Christ. Uh, yes, so the call, uh, the, the verse that you're citing, many are called but few are chosen, uh, I think speaks to the free offer of the gospel. The gospel is made broadly, uh, and we call men and women unto repentance, but few of those respond. Uh, so, I've, right, so Bonhoeffer is saying that of those who are chosen, uh, of those who are Christ's disciples, the, the, the act of committing to discipleship is an act of saying he has lordship over every square inch of my life, of my world, of my home, of everything. And so that's what Bonhoeffer is, is attacking. He's attacking the idea of cheap grace. A grace that does not cost you your life. He says, no, grace costs you everything. And so as we're going through this Sermon on the Mountain, he's been, he's been bringing uh, some passages or, or some, some thoughts to us. We come this morning to this section, uh, which is entitled in his book, uh, The Brother. And he points out that Jesus... makes a startling claim. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And this claim that Jesus makes, it's easy to, to pass over because we're getting straight to the issue of anger and, and uh, hatred and, and that sort of thing. But it's helpful for us to just pause just a second and realize how shocking this statement is. Jesus Christ is not lining up with one rabbinic school or another rabbinic school. He's not divorcing us from the law. But what he's doing is he is claiming ownership of the law. This is a bold claim that Jesus Christ makes. I own the law. And 
as Christians, we would say, yes, that's obvious, because the Word of God is inspired from Genesis 1-1 to the very end of Revelation. It is God's Word. These are the words of Jesus Christ. This is, this is entirely God's Word. So when we're reading Exodus chapter 20, we're hearing the voice of Jesus. Uh, when, when we're reading all of this stuff that we've been going through in Leviticus, all of this stuff about bulls and goats and sin and guilt and trespass and all these things that we're seeing in Leviticus, it is the voice of Jesus. Uh, and, and so when Jesus makes this bold claim, he's not only confirming that he agrees with the law, he's agreeing with the law, but in his authority over the law, he's revealing its full extent. He's not bringing a new law. And he's certainly not doing away with the law. Uh, he'll go on later to say, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle of the law will pass until everything is fulfilled. He has not come to do away with the law. He has not come to uh, uh, do anything more than apply the law to your inner being. Applying the law of God. Murder is being applied into the, the inner being, the whole man. And Bonhoeffer's point in this, of the, the reason that he makes this point of, of, you have heard it said, but I say, he says, and, and I think this is completely true, only those who apprehend the law as the word of Christ are in a position to fulfill it. Only those who apprehend the law as the word of Christ are in a position to fulfill it. And if you'll just camp on that, maybe this afternoon as you're, as you're continuing to enjoy a day of rest, think on that a little bit. Meditate on that a little bit. Because what that does, I think, is gets right down to the problem of legalism, the problem of Pharisaism, the problem of so many, uh, the problem of antinomianism, obviously. Uh, there, there, there are so many ways in which we as Christians fall off the road into the ditch of antinomianism or into the ditch of legalism. We fall into either of those two ditches by failing to be absolutely critically grounded in Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills the law. Jesus Christ is the one who speaks the law. And Jesus Christ is my law keeper. And in him, I can be more and more conformed to the law. But I'll give you an example. Um, regardless, regardless of what your position is on Christian liberty and, I, I don't know, let's just, uh, whether, whether or not it is acceptable for a man to have a beard. Now, obviously, that's a silly, well, <laughs> I say it's a silly example. It's actually a controversy. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the arena in which I grew up, uh, 
to, to wear a beard was uh, to identify yourself with hippies and with vagabonds, and it was not separating yourself from the world and making it clear that you are not of the world, yada, yada. But let's take that instance. I'm, I'm, picking an inst- uh, I'm picking an example that hopefully we're all on the same page with, that it's okay for a man to have a beard. Uh, if you believe it's not, then you're probably got a problem with me. <laughs> um, but let's take that, that example. If we believe that it is wrong for a man to have a beard, and you can, you can apply this to any other wisdom issue, if we believe it is wrong for a man to have a beard, how would Christ engage someone who was wearing a beard? How, how would he come to someone who is in sin? And, you know, Paul says, uh, in, in, I think it's Galatians, uh, that, that if we see a brother in sin, you who are spiritual, come to this one in a spirit of humility, taking care lest you yourself should fall into sin. That, that way in which we confront issues within the body of Christ, issues particularly with our brother, the way in which we confront the issues that we're called to confront must be done through Christ's lens, through Christ's eyes, in Christ's manner. And I think we miss that a lot. Uh, I, I, Speaking only for myself, uh, there are times that I hear things, criticisms about other people or other points of view coming out of my mouth that are less than charitable. And this is a problem. <laughs> this, this, is not, this is not operating through the lens of our union with Christ. Bonhoeffer says, Christ has laid his hand on the law. And by claiming it for his own, he brings it to fruition. He declares war on all false interpretations. And by honoring it, he gives himself into the hands of its false devotees. By honoring the law, by by saying what he says here, that the law you shall not murder must affect your heart. It must come out of a heart that is transformed by the gospel. By saying that, he is placing himself into the hands of the Pharisees, and they will ultimately kill him for it. The the false devotees to the law are the ones that look at what Jesus is saying, look at what Jesus is doing, and say, we got to get rid of it. Uh, Our obedience to the law means this blasphemer has to go. Uh, ultimately, uh, his, his attestation before Caiaphas, the high priest. You remember Caiaphas' Caiaphas's response? This man is a blasphemer. What more do we need to hear? And that was enough. He blasphemed. And he's, quote-unquote, blaspheming right here. When he says, I own the law. 
I am the author of the law, and I am the authoritative interpreter of the law. And you cannot understand the law without understanding and, and following after Jesus Christ. Now, Bonhoeffer goes on to, to discuss what is the meat of, of these verses here. which is the issue of anger. And, and he makes an interesting observation. Now, I have made this point over and over to my own children. And full disclosure, uh, I violated this point yesterday. <laughs> at our presbytery meeting, when there was a motion that was uh, being pressed forward that I believed very, very strongly was not in order and not a healthy thing for our church to be moving forward on. And in my speech against this motion, I got a little worked up and closed my speech with saying, if this motion passes, I'm going to come as my own accuser and you better bring me up on charges. Now, I believe that. Everything I said was accurate. I, I gave three reasons why this motion, it, it was extra confessional, it was uh, anti-Presbyterian because we've allowed liberty within our denomination on this particular issue, and it goes against our own practice uh, because we had violated what we were supposed to say was, was the doctrine of Scripture, uh, in the past, and I said, I'm going to do it again. Uh, if, if wisdom and, and circumstances are appropriate, then I absolutely will do again the thing that you guys are saying is wrong to do in the OPC. And so I said, you better bring me up on charges for this. If, if this passes, I want to see charges. I'm coming as my own accuser. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. I believe everything I said. But if you were on the other side of that issue, if you believed that this issue should move forward, when I come with this level of emotion, with this level of energy, with this level of pushing, attack, <laughs> forcefulness, forcefulness, when I come with this level of forcefulness, I'm speaking emotionally, and people respond emotionally. And so if I'm speaking emotionally to a disagreement that we have, and if I'm speaking emotionally to a disagreement that we have, what is the chances that the person on the other side of the issue is going to hear and go, oh, I see your point. That's right. They're going to fight. When I come in with this level of aggression, when I come in with this forcefulness, the response is, and, and so I've said this to my children in a completely different context. How many times when you're in an argument and the person just says, I hate you, do you go, oh, okay, well, wow, they hate me. Uh, that must be... I guess I'm in a problem here. We need to find peace. How many people do that? 
Well, I hate you more. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> I hate you. Well, I hate you more. You're ugly. Well, you're uglier. When we come with that attack, what we are doing is not listening to our brother, and we're not gaining a brother. And we see this in our sibling or in in children with their siblings. We see it in spouses. Uh, I mean, the person who's married who has never had a tiff with their spouse, uh, raise your hand. <laughs> but in those times that we have conflicts with our spouse, how often are the words, words that are not seeking to regain, not seeking to, to, to bring peace and reconciliation, but rather they are words that seek, as Bonhoeffer says, let me quote him here, the angry word is a blow struck at our brother, a stab at his heart. It seeks to hit, to hurt, to destroy. And which one of us can say that we're okay on that? That no angry words come out of our mouths. Which one of us can say that? And, and Jesus is showing us this perfect law. He's showing us the perfect fulfillment of the law. As we recognize not only what the law means, but as we recognize our constant failure to live out that law. And, and I would think that just about any one of us can think over just the past seven days since last Sunday, and can draw to mind a moment at which, in some intimate relationship, whether it's spouse, children, brothers and sisters, parents, in one of your intimate relationships, there was some anger. There was some, there was some emotion that sought, there were some words that sought to hit, to hurt, to destroy. And so when Bonhoeffer is pointing this out, A, he's absolutely right, but B, he's causing us to recognize our need for grace. This is what costly grace is. Grace that costs you is a grace that you're continually drawing upon, continually needing, continually recognizing your need for, continually striving. But we live in grace. Uh, so, so this perfect righteousness, this perfect standard that is set up, it's not, it's not reduced one iota by the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It's not it reduced one iota by the fact that you and I, Ephesians chapter 2, are raised up together with him and seated with him in heavenly places. We are recipients of grace and we need that grace on a regular basis. And that's what Bonhoeffer then goes on to say, is that to have unresolved conflict, which is what the passage said, to have unresolved conflict cuts us off 
from the means of grace. The means of grace. Worship. The sacraments. Prayer. The word preached and heard. When we walk into the means of grace with a conflict that is unresolved. What did Jesus say there in our passage that we read? Leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother. It cuts us off from the means of grace. You and I cannot say that we have fellowship with God we cannot say that we are in fellowship with God if we are not also in harmony with God's people you must this is what living eden is this is what living out eden The Garden of Eden. This is what it is. Adam and Eve, in harmony with God, walking in perfect obedience with him, therefore, in perfect harmony with one another. And it's when that relationship with God is broken that the relationship between Adam and Eve is also broken. It's when the relationship with God is broken that the relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, all these things are all destroyed. But you can't, both of those lines go together. You can't erase one and let the other remain. There's got to be a desire for harmony. Now, you know, again, the scripture, as much as it lies within you, live at peace with all men. Uh, And that qualification is critical, as much as it lies within you. There are relationships in my own life, frankly, in my own family, that I am completely unable to heal. I am completely unable to have any influence over at all. But what I can do is I can make absolutely sure that there's nothing on my side that is furthering any disruption of a relationship. I can make sure that my desire is for peace, and that my actions are are working towards reconciliation. Because if we don't, we cannot say that we are in fellowship with God. That's the clear, it comes right out of our passage here. And one point that I want to make is, let's see where we are, running over, but okay, I'll make the point real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, we read, let a, man, or let a person discern the body. Because if they eat and drink the Lord's table without discerning the body, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Now this has been controversial and continues to be controversial throughout, ever, ever since Paul wrote it. Uh, what does it mean to discern the body? What does it mean to eat and drink judgment upon myself? Uh, some people will say, you know, I have to have a season of preparation. I've got to have confessed every sin. I've got to 
you know, really, really be prepared for this, uh, for, for this by, by having this spiritual, uh, uh, inventory and, and making sure yada yada. Others will say that discerning the body involves a level of intellectual knowledge. So a young child at the age of four who absolutely loves Jesus cannot come to the table, but a child at the age of 16 can because there's some amorphous thing that happens in between the age of four and 16 uh, that, that causes this young child to be able to discern the body. <clears throat> My point is that that issue of discerning the body has and continues to be something that we're not all going to see on the on the you know line up perfectly with each other. But I want to emphasize this point. We all ought to be able to agree. If Jesus says that having a broken, hostile relationship with your brother cuts you off from the means of grace then we all ought to be able to agree that at the very minimum, or at the very heart of this discerning the body, is you engaging in that spiritual exercise of, am I at peace with my wife? Am I at peace with my husband? Am I at peace with my child? Am I at peace with my parents? Have we said the words? Have we shared the heart, have we, even if we don't agree, even if we end up, you know, my spouse still believes it is an absolute sin for a man to wear a beard. Uh, at least we're at peace with each other about it. <laughs> at least we're not hostile and, and angry and combative. And that, being hostile, angry, combative, everything that Jesus describes in verses 21 through 27, or 26, that, at the very least, is what it means to discern the body. To, to know, should I be coming to the means of grace? Because Jesus said, if I've got something unreconciled, leave your gift at the altar, go and reconcile, and then come and offer your gift. So, <clears throat> the, this standard, this, this standard that Jesus sets is one that calls for harmony within our relationships. Um, and then finally, Bonhoeffer closes with this quote, and with this I'll close. And, and this is, this is uh, one of the things that, and, and we'll see this in our sermon uh, passage this morning, one of the things that we often do when we consider God's law is, and, and with some legitimacy, and the writer of the Hebrews says it's uh, you know, a, a smoking mountain and fire and thunder and, and people begged not to hear the voice, uh, said, Moses, you go and, and, and interact with this, with this God on our behalf. We can't. Uh, we can't face it. But Jesus is pleased to call you and me his brothers. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus is pleased. He is not ashamed, the writer says, to call us his brothers. And Bonhoeffer says, 
the humanity of the Son of God grants us a brother to serve our brother, to please him, to allow him his due, and to love him is the way of self-denial, the way of the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is the love of the crucified. And only in the cross of Christ do we find fulfillment of this law. And, and so it's a, it's a continual driving us. It's a continual driving us back to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, uh, in whom we are righteous, in whom we have fulfilled the law, but also in whom you and I are called to walk in a way that shows lives transformed by it. So with that, I will close. We're five minutes over, and uh, we'll go into our time of fellowship. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed to us your word, your will. You make us alive by your Holy Spirit. You guide us. Your word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our paths. And Father, we pray that we would hide that word deep in our hearts, uh, that we would pursue peace uh, with our brothers and sisters, that we would leave all at the altar and go and be reconciled, because only when we are reconciled to one another can we truly be reconciled to you. Uh, Work that grace in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.